eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had one hundred sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other ninety-nine in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need to change their lives. Here ends the reading. I was an early adopter at Facebook. I, I started using Facebook back in 2008, I believe, uh, while I was still a university undergraduate student. And I got, I started watching are using Facebook because it was designed to be exactly what its name said, a Facebook. It was to help you put names to faces. People would upload their pictures, tell them, uh, tell Facebook what classes they were in, and then um, you could go on and uh, and see what other people were in your classes and find out, um, you know, who is that person that I see that I see in class. And that's what I used it for originally. I mean, you you had to have a university email address. To join, and you had to uh, you had to tell your classes. You could only talk to people in your network and your your university, not everybody, and everything like that. But within a year or two after I started using it, it opened up to everybody, and it became over time what it is now. But more and more, I am um, I find myself disheartened when I go on uh, to Facebook as partisan politics and and uh, hateful hatefulness is just everywhere. It seems, but. Uh, in the last the last year or so, I've been a moderator on the Facebook page for the Christian Universalist Association, uh, the Facebook group, I guess I should say. It's an open group, and even though it's run by the Christian Universalist Association, it's not very heavily moderated, and uh, this is on purpose. It's to, to allow an open communication, open um, discussion, and it's interesting because uh, as a moderator, we I receive complaints uh, often on uh, individual posts, on comments, uh, on various things like that. And I get just as many complaints um, from people saying that, for example, a certain post uh, it, you know, is uh, too progressive or the certain post is too conservative, uh, that a certain post is, is uh, you know, not Christian enough, or a certain post is you know, fundamentalist. I, all kinds of things we get all over the board. And um, generally, I think we're perceived by folks in that Facebook group as being whatever it is they're against, 
most of the time. <laughs> so usually I think, oh, you're, you know, if, if they're evangelical, um, you know, in their, in their tradition, then they say, oh, you're too, you're too progressive, you're too liberal. And if they come from a more, uh, a church with more liberal theology or the, you know, more progressive church, then they, we get, oh, you're too conservative, you're too, even this, this group is too evangelical. And what really is happening is that, um, combination of things. First of all, uh, it's true that particular folks in the group are more vocal than others. And certain people talk out and talk up more than others. But also, I think there's an uh, implied bias happening where people are looking for what they uh, what they are expecting, what they're looking, and they're seeing uh, in people's replies the same kind of animosity and uh, us versus them mentality they see everywhere else on Facebook, and they're just going to that immediately without trying to understand any more deeply. And I think this is a, a symptom of social media that we don't take the time to build relationships with people, and certainly myself included. I'm not. I'm not like you know. I'm not on a pedestal here. Like this is you know glass houses, uh, for sure. I and mean, I've I've got several hundred friends on Facebook. Um, I try not to to, to friend congregants, um, uh, either current or past. Although I do have uh, I do have congregants from churches that I left um, a long time ago uh, on on Facebook as friends. But I try to keep those boundaries um, pretty clean. I have a, a separate account for my my professional um, page and things. But even though I have several hundred friends, I think the Facebook algorithm only shows me 150 or so, uh, you know, that I ever see. So it's not like I have deep relationships with all those people. But um, there is one person on my Facebook page specifically that I thought of when I was looking at this reading today. And uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is because I don't want to, I don't want to, um, to, uh, I don't know, out anybody <laughs> or, or, or anything. And then I'm not, I have nothing against this person. I just thought that this is uh, the person that I was reminded of when I read this reading from Luke about the lost sheep. This is a person um, who I met through um, through a shared activity, a, you know, a, a hobby, the not related to church uh, or, or to work or to school, um, which is a lot of where I, where I come from, but a, a hobby we share. And um, a hobby... Uh, that we shared for only um, six months or so, but we be, you know became Facebook friends and and uh, I see uh, I see their posts um, quite often, and often I don't agree with with what they're saying. I mean, the, um, the their political ideas are very different from mine. Um, their religious ideas are very different from mine. They have very different uh, ideas on, on a lot of topics, but. I, I keep them on my Facebook friends page because when I have talked to them in the past and approached them from a position of really trying to understand, and not just from immediate knee-jerk reaction, but from trying to talk to them and have a, um, a, uh, a conversation, uh, you know, a kind of, you know, more serious conversation, privately, they have generally responded really well. And we've had good conversations about things and sometimes I don't convince them and that's totally fine. And sometimes I do and they, and they change their, what they're posting or they, what they're thinking about. And I think, uh, particularly what I want to point out here is I don't go to somebody to them and say, you know, Hey, you're wrong for thinking this. 
I go to them and I say, you know, hey, have you ever thought about that this thing that you're posting, um, you know, might be seen as, as uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, racist or might be seen as as um, an us versus them kind of thing between between us and other countries or whatever it might be. And I think in those cases we've had good conversations um, about those things. And you know, I have no, uh, I have no rose-colored glasses on here. I have no, I have no false idea. I, I know that I'm not going to make a major change in this person's um, belief system or what the, you know what they say or, what, or how they see the world. They're, uh, you know, they've been around longer than me. They've they've got their own ideas, but I think that what Jesus is talking about in this in this passage uh, in Luke kind of applies here. Let's let's go back and look at, at this passage. This is one of my favorite Bible passages. And it starts off in so a lot of times when we look at the quote we, we skip the very first line. And I think that's that's unfortunate because it, it's important to set the stage. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. So this is important. People were here. These were the tax collectors and sinners, they say, were gathering around Jesus. They were they were following Jesus around. They were becoming his entourage, so to speak, um, as he traveled and, and preached. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling. So the Pharisees were um, a group of uh, very religious uh, Jews who um, were, were, especially who believed in the resurrection and who were um, believed in, in lots of uh, ritual clean, cleanliness. They, they, you know, they're washing their hands, they're, they're, they're following all of these rituals, all these, all these laws uh, to maintain their, uh, their ritual cleanliness. And then um, the legal experts uh, are, are, the other, are the other group of the Jewish people that are often portrayed in Luke. These are folks who, who know the law, the, the Torah, very, very well and, and are experts in it and expert in, experts in how to uh, apply it in, in daily life or those kinds of things. So they were grumbling and saying, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they were upset because not only did Jesus have these people following him around, but he welcomed them. And this, you know, the, in the Greek behind this, this welcoming gives us the idea that he was hosting them. So he was inviting them, he was being their host, inviting them to dinner, right, to be his guests at dinner. And he was eating with them. And this was a very important especially to the Pharisees, because, again, they, who you ate with um, had a lot to do with your ritual cleanliness, had a lot to do with whether you agreed with somebody, whether you, um, you know, uh, thought of them as, as legitimate, I guess, if you, if you decided to have, to have food, food with them. And it's, I think it was insulting a lot to the Pharisees who believed of them, saw in themselves a people who were trying their best to keep all of God's laws, right, as best they could, to keep themselves ritually pure. And they were invited to these dinners with Jesus, and when they got there, they saw that not only were they there, the, the you know, the, the socially acceptable religious folks, but also all of these other people were there that they would never eat with, sinners and tax collectors and things. And the reason why tax collectors, by the way, are important is because at this time uh, Judea is under the Roman rule, and the tax collectors were uh, local Judeans, who uh, 
who um, were working for the Roman government to collect taxes. And a, a lot of Judeans saw them as traitors, traitors to the to, to Judea, um, traitors to the Jewish people, because they were working for for the Romans who were oppressing them. But in a lot of ways, they were they were just doing their job, um, which is what Jesus often says about them. That setting is really important because it frames the rest of the chapter. And I, I only read in the reading uh, verses 1 through 7, which is the, the parable of the lost sheep. But the, this is followed by the parable of the lost coins, which is just a very similar but much shorter um, parable of the same kind of idea. And then um, one of my favorite parables in the Bible, um, the, what we call the parable of the, of the prodigal son, which is about um, a son who, who squanders his inheritance um, in loose living, as they say, and, 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 you know, goes off and has fun and, and spends all of his inheritance money before his father even died. Um, and then when he can't make it in the world, decides to return to his father because he has no other options and is expecting just to be hired on as a, as a hired hand uh, and, you know, not be a, considered a son anymore because he's given up that, that option by taking his inheritance. But the father welcomes him back with open arms and, uh, and they have a party and everything. And the subtext of that one that's also often missed is that the second son, the one who stayed and was faithful the entire time, is, like the Pharisees in this case, is angry. Angry that this other person who has not been keeping uh, his father's laws, his father's um, uh, commands, has been welcomed back just as, as much as the son who has been keeping them the whole time. So it's in this, this you know, bookending... Of, of, of this opening with the, the Pharisees and, and the uh, and the legal experts, and then this closing with the story of the, of the prodigal son, that we get this story about the sheep, and this is the, kind of the first thing. So, this is really Jesus's response to this question of why are you letting these people be here in your presence? Why are and only in your presence, but but eating with them, inviting them to table? Why are you doing this? Um, you know, this is this is uncouth. This is this is uh, you know not allowed. Why, why would you do this? And what we see in Jesus' response is he says, look, you know, if you had, if you were a farm, if you were a shepherd, because, you know, Jesus is from the sticks, from the Inaka. Jesus is, is from, is from the middle of nowhere. Galilee is out in the, you know, in, in the, in the rural part of, of Judea. So he's familiar with, with the shepherds and the sheep and all these kinds of things. These are the, 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 the ways that he talks about things using the, the terminology and the things that he's grown up with. He, he meets people, you know, where they are. And he says, you know, if you're a shepherd and you've got a hundred sheep, you know, what shepherd with a hundred sheep, if one of the sheep got lost, wouldn't leave the other 99 behind and go to find the one that had been lost. And when he found it, would be so excited that he would put it on his back and carry it back and have a party because he found the sheep that he'd lost. And so his point is that those people in his that are coming around in him, these the sinners and the tax collectors, these are the people who need Jesus's message. You know, he 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 really, um, in in a way, he you know, he really compliments the Pharisees and the and the legal experts here. It's not usually taken that way, um, I think. And and you know, we see throughout the uh, place where he he rebukes them over and over again and. And he has certainly has lots of problems with them, but in this in this particular moment, he's not saying anything negative about the Pharisees and the legal experts. All he's saying is, you know, you have already you are already taking care of your spiritual life. You're already taking care of that. 
you're already, you've already got that. You're already listening to God's commands. The people who need to hear the message, the gospel, the good news about God are these other people, these people who our society has cast out to the outskirts. Now, at the same time, he's rebuking them, you know, for, for casting out these people, of course, for not, for, for not wanting to have table with them. But he says, you know, you've already got this. We, what the people who got, who really need God's message are these folks, the sinners and the tax collectors and these people who are, who are, you know, dealing every day with this, with, um, their lives and, and who feel like outcasts. And, um, you know, the, there are examples of this that continue today. I mean, I think that in a, uh, an amazing turnabout, the church today is often in the same place that the Pharisees were in this story. And I think it's, it's very easy for us, any, anybody, anybody in, in, um, in a church from any walk of life to look at the story and see themselves in the place of Jesus having dinner with the sinners and the tax collectors. But I think if we do that, we, we miss the point. And I, I think, you know, we also have to remember that this story is also, in a way, the early church responding to allegations, um, of which there were many in the early church, that, that they were socially an unacceptable group. They were a socially unacceptable group because slaves and, and freed people uh, met together and and had you know sat together as equals, rich and poor, male and female, Jew and Greek, all together in the same place. They were a socially unacceptable group for this, and so this is in a way also not only Jesus's words about this, about his you know in his time and his moment, but also about the early church that experienced a very similar reaction from society. But over time, what has happened is that society has changed. And the, we now see the people in the church uh, often as the socially acceptable ones. And it's those people who are not in the church who are not socially acceptable, a reversal of what it was in the early church in the, under the Roman rule. And so I think we've, it's very easy to see ourselves in Jesus's place. Even, in, you know, I, I will especially say, um, I think that there are many uh, progressive, uh, you know, liberal congregations who would look at this story and say oh yes we are definitely jesus here we are bringing in the outcasts we're bringing in the lgbt community we're bringing in uh you know uh, my old congregation in austin you know we had homeless folks in the congregation we had uh you know folks who who uh from the local deaf school who would not normally you know otherwise uh, come you know have a service to go to we had we had um, you know, rich and poor, LGBT and, and straight, um, you know, uh, multiple ethnicities and, and cultural backgrounds. You know, we would look at this story and say, oh, this is us. We are Jesus. And we are rebuking the rest of those churches for not bringing these people. But we should always look at ourselves as the Pharisees in these stories. <laughs> we should always be the ones to, to whom Jesus is speaking. Because we can always find a place where we're not living fully into God's reality here, into, into God's kingdom. And, you know, I can think of examples. There are examples of, of very progressive churches I've been to where people feel very unwelcome. Uh, 
from all walks of life. Maybe they feel unwelcome because they 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 feel like their conservative values have no place and are are made fun of or ridiculed or um, that they're that they're made to feel like people think they're stupid, for example. Um, maybe it's in a an evangelical church where someone is debating about their own sexuality and they go into the church and they hear from the pulpit about uh, how immor immoral it is uh, to be gay or about, uh, you know, how they, how these are horrible sins that can, you know, repent today and, and turn around or, or you're going to burn in hell forever. You know, people can feel cast out from anywhere and it's very difficult to always be welcoming to all people. And you're going to make mistakes. You know, um, one of my favorite stories about Martin Luther in the, the Reformation, and it's kind of a horrible story, but Martin Luther, when he joined uh, the, uh, the monks, he felt like, after studying the scriptures and, and uh, the doctrines of the church and everything, he felt like there was no way he could possibly be saved. He thought he was, he was beyond redemption. And, uh, you know, he would do more and more grueling things to try and, and you know, repent for, for what he had done. Um, I believe he even did floggings and, and things. And he was just, in, you know, inconsolable. He, he was just, he, he just couldn't, he believed he was going to go to hell. Um, because he couldn't do enough. He couldn't, he couldn't be... Uh, the person God wanted him to be. He couldn't, he couldn't do all the things he needed to do. And that's when he realized, when he reread the scriptures and he realized and he saw all of the talk about salvation um, through faith alone and not through works, that he changed and realized that, that uh, salvation is, is God's choice, not his. It doesn't matter what he does. His works don't decide it. It's, it's about God's grace. And that through God's grace, we're all you know, forgiven. Now, of course, I don't know if Martin Luther would have considered himself universalist, but that's what we think, too, that, you know, through God's grace, we will all eventually be reconciled. You know, it may take, maybe after death, it may be after, uh, you know, some some form of punishment, some, some form of, of um, redemption, some form of, you know, making amends for what we've done, coming to understand the gravity of our, of our mistakes. But we all make mistakes. We all err. We all sin. And just because we do that doesn't mean that God loves us any less, you know? And so you're going to make mistakes. Even in being welcoming to folks, you're going to make mistakes. Even in my conversations on Facebook with, with my friend whom I disagree with so much, I make mistakes and I say bad things that I shouldn't, um, and in ways that I shouldn't. And I, I damage that relationship, but I then turn around and apologize. And, and I try to have an honest conversation about it. And it, it doesn't always work, but I try. And so what I want you to think about is who are the lost sheep in your world? Who are the folks that you have pushed um, to the margins? Who you feel are, are um, unredeemable? Because those are the folks. Those are the folks that Jesus asks us to look for. Those are the folks, Jesus says, you know, all these all these friends and family and, and churchgoers that, you, that you're with that you feel like you know what you're doing, you're all saved and you're all good, they don't need you. <laughs> I mean, they do, but they don't need you for this. You need to go out to the people who you think are are 
beyond hope and reach out to them and don't tell them they're wrong don't berate them you know uh, Jesus didn't go to the sinners and say you're all sinners and you're going to hell unless you follow me that's not what he said he went to the sinners and said guess what God loves you come with me let's let's all talk about and experience God's love together and that's how he got them to come you know and that's what we're all called to do, to reach out in love, to have real conversations, to actively listen, to really try to understand the other person's point of view and not just from sound bites and, and political statements. So I invite you to try and do that this week. Try and find the folks you feel like you can have a safe conversation with, but who you feel like you've, you've pushed out for some reason or another, and try to just talk to them. Um, again, if they're safe to talk to you. There's other, there are certain situations where people are cut out of your life for very valid reasons, where you're concerned about your own safety, whether it's mental or physical. And I'm not advocating um, pushing past that without, you know, putting in the work. But I'm talking about folks on Facebook, folks, you know, family people that you you just don't talk to, not because they're they're toxic, but just because you don't agree with them or whatever. Those folks. And who else? Who else is in your life that are the lost sheep that? Jesus asks you to, to go after. Let's let's go and see if we can find those lost sheep. Amen.